Well, it's been about a year since I have spoken in front of church, and for some crazy reason they asked me again, so apologize ahead of time. <laughs> I, uh, my, my whole teaching today, I'll just go ahead and go to the big picture. Actually, I put this, I put this quote here to start with. I don't know if you guys have had a chance to read it, just basically because I really liked it, but I couldn't find a place to put it in my, in my uh, teaching. <laughs> A little pondering thought there at the beginning. Can you go back? I, I, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh. yeah. You read that. Can you read it? Yeah, just read it. I can't, I can't see it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's not a good sign. It's my handwriting, too. The person who loves their dream of community will destroy their community, but the person who loves those around them will create community. That's a Dietrich Bonhoeffer quote from the book Life Together. And uh, I had to laugh at myself because when I read that quote, I was like, ooh, I should make a sign of that and put it in church. But that's all about my dream of community. <laughs> uh, anyway, that's a tangent. I'll start with a tangent. <clears throat> okay, so uh, I had a professor in college who, uh, who was very organized and um, very good teacher, and she always started out every day, um, every class with a big picture, just in case uh her teaching was hard to follow or just so that you were already like on board so you could know what you're going to talk about so i like to do that too so my teaching today is um going to be about how you're worthy and you're valuable and you belong because of christ and really only because of christ and you've got to trust this and you got to plant this in your heart and if you can do that you will be able to love like jesus loves so in that, the, the flip side is that um, what you accomplish or what people think about you or how you look or how successful you are isn't where your worthiness comes from. So in that, um, my personality is very much, uh, it's like I, I need uh, words of affirmation. It's like I have this, I have this need for this. I need... Uh, I need to know that what I did was successful. A lot of times I will falsely place my value in uh, what I did. And so teaching up here today is like um, teaching this and teaching it. Um, they are kind of in, uh, they combat themselves in my mind. So I didn't make a lot of notes because usually I would spend an incredible amount of time making sure that I was going to say everything just right so that. I would do it just right, and that everyone would think I was just right. <laughs> so I might be messy, and it's kind of the point, because my value isn't in that. So the scripture I got to do today um, was Jesus watching, washing the disciples' feet. Um, Cora helped me out there. <laughs> of course, but I actually tried mine, and it just like was all over the entire thing. I was like, oh, I need a smaller foot. <laughs> Yeah, actually, I was looking at, I got to try different feet. I was like, Theo's is just like, kind of still like a flat blob. I was like, that won't even look like a foot. And, and Lewis has weird feet. He's like pigeon-toed. <laughs> so, Court, Court is the one that got the chosen privilege. So, we'll just jump right into the scripture here. Uh, I guess I'll read it. So, this comes from John 13. 
Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Some, some translations will say to the, fullest of, to the fullest extent. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. That's so like Peter. Jesus said to him, The one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not every one of you, for he knew who was to betray him. And that was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I love that verse, those verses. And I've always uh, loved Jesus for for those for that type of uh, example he gave us. But when I started to dig into this a little more and um, scavenged around in the world of uh, sermons and uh, wise teachers, because honestly, when I teach, I. I I'm, I'm less of like a, a cultivator of wisdom and more of like a hunter-gatherer of wisdom because I'm not that old. I mean, I'm old enough, but I'm older than a lot of you. But, and I don't, I don't feel like, I feel like there's a lot to learn from people who have, um, have spent more time with the Spirit and uh, in discernment of these. And I started coming across a central theme that didn't have so much to do with I mean, there was the, yes, we got to do the dirty work. We got to be willing to serve like Jesus on our knees and not uh, puff ourselves up. But there was, there's like a, a deeper thing that I hadn't thought about and um, that I hadn't pulled out from that. And it was, it comes, uh, centralizes on this verse about Jesus where it says, he had come from God and he was going to God. Jesus was whole. 
He knew who he was and he knew where his worth lied. And unlike us walking around as broken people, Jesus walked around on the earth as a whole person as God intended us to be in the beginning. He was full to the brim with God's love. No gaping holes like what we have. And because of that, because of his incredible wholeness in God, he was able to love unconditionally. John doesn't talk about this in his retelling of the Last Supper, but Luke does. If you go back <clears throat> into Luke and you read his account of the Last Supper, he, he gives us a little more information. After they had, uh, they were into dinner, and uh, Jesus had said that someone would betray him, the disciples start arguing again about who the greatest is among them. It says, Luke chapter 22, 24 through 27, it says, A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, The kings of Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as the one who serves. For who is the greater one who reclines? For who is the greater one? One who reclines at the table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves. So, uh, I read a, a, one of the first sermons I read um, over these verses uh, was a, a sermon by this guy named Keith Krell, who I, I don't know that much. He's like a he's a a professor at the Moody Bible School. Am I saying that right? Um, and he's also a pastor of a church. And uh, he uh, he talked about this as a he said they were ready f to fight for a throne, not a towel. So unlike Jesus. The disciples were not wholehearted. They had the need, like all of us, to be secure and to be loved and to belong and to matter. And when Jesus talked about one of them being a betrayer, I think it probably started this conversation among them like, well, it's Certainly not me, because look at this, and look at that, and look what I've done for God and, and for man. Um, Jesus, actually, let me back up. So they had already had dinner, and it was customary, as most of you probably know, for um, the person hosting a meal, if they had the means, to at least provide something for people to wash their feet in, at least provide a basin. And if they were even more well-to-do, they could provide a servant to wash the hand or a slave, or a servant to wash feet or a slave to wash feet. Um, the hosts themselves never washed the feet. That wasn't customary. That was a lowly job. And it's odd that in this story of the Last Supper that it hadn't been done already. They hadn't washed their feet because they're like reclining with their stinky feet. Um, hanging out there with Jesus on the Last Supper and they're already through the meal and they haven't washed their feet and some commentators believe that Jesus probably planned this. You know, um, 
And so once they start in on their, uh, their argument about who the greatest is, uh, he shows them their love. He's, I think the scripture says that because he, he loved them, he wanted to show the full extent of their love. Let me see. I'm kind of on a tangent here, so let me get myself back. I talked about um, how unlike, unlike uh, Jesus, we um, we do sort of we're not we're not complete and whole. We are in need of Jesus's redemption every day and God's love in our hearts every day. Uh, Greg Boyd is another person I listened to one of his sermons. And uh, he talked a lot about this. In fact, a lot of what I'm talking about today comes from uh, what I learned from him in a sermon. I can't, I have a reference to it somewhere, so it'll come up. But he talked about um, how in, in creation, God created Adam and Eve. And they were in the garden. And they were as he intended. Their hearts were whole. And they chose out of from their deception and the choice to um, when they, when they ate the fruit they chose to be the source of their own life basically the serpent said you won't die God says you'll die but you won't die you'll be like God you'll be your own source of life and so they ate it and that security they had in God's love was taken away in that moment. They lost it. They threw it away. See, God has created us to need to be secure and to be loved and to belong and to matter. That's across humanity. That's, that's a God-designed need in us, and it was his intention for that need to be filled with his love. But what we've thrown it away and so now we live today broken and in need to fill that hole. But we tend to fill it with all the wrong things. And here I want you guys to help me out. Um, we seem to be incapable of consistently holding on to our own worthiness in Christ and our own and God's own love for us and our belonging in Christ and that our worth comes from Christ. We seem to not be able to hold on to that. So what, help me out here, what kind of things, occupations or possessions or things do we say we chase after to be secure? For comfort, right? Yeah. Yeah. I remember when I first started drinking coffee in high school, and um, I had some teachers who didn't care if I brought my cup in in the morning. But then I did have one. I'm sure never getting written up or whatever. So I just forget, and I'm walking around as soon as I cross the threshold. She, Shirley, you know, like marking down. And because I was irritated over it, felt like well, maybe I just shouldn't be drinking it in the first place. 
I started to realize that it was the comfort factor. I wanted a hot drink in my hand. There was something about it and something about the routine and the way it made me feel. But it was, it was not the caffeine. It was the, the element of holding this thing. And yeah. That's right. Comfort. What does the Bible say? Who's our comforter? Yeah. <laughs> right? The Spirit's our comforter. Anything else that people do to be secure? I mean, you can throw out the basic ones. Yeah. Well, along with the coffee, I think it leads to a comfort and a routine. The security of your pattern. Yeah. What things do we chase after to fill that need for love? What's that? <laughs> money. Money. <laughs> you could probably say money with all of these, right? Uh, I mean, and, and relationships are an important part of, of God's kingdom. But we don't always enter into those relationships with a Christ-like love. We enter into relationships with what we can get out of them, right? So we become takers rather than givers. To belong, I mean, you can, does anybody got anything that think maybe they even do to try to belong? To feel that need for belonging? not only belong but maybe matter just a little bit more I think when we silo ourselves in certain groups of people maybe like in on Facebook or just in conversations especially really the political things I think that makes you feel like you belong you have that loudest voice you're shutting out a lot of other I think this one, our need to belong, causes a lot of hurt. The way we chase after our need for belonging. I think even down to hate groups. People, I think that core need is to matter, to have power, and above all, to belong to something. And to matter. Chasing after our accomplishments, chasing after our our one upness. I think sometimes I know my mom was teaching once and said that sometimes it's not just words people do say; it's what sometimes they don't say. Like if we got a new haircut and nobody says a word, or something else that we've done and we're, we're missing from church for weeks and nobody says a thing and then you start to think do I make so little of a difference that nobody even notices when I'm not there yeah well and so when we when we try to feel that need to matter with how other people respond to us that's heartbreak that's why there's so many heartbroken people because we're all walking around with these needs and we're trying to fill them with the wrong things. Let me see what I was thinking here. 
that sound the alarm clock. Aw, let me see. So, another influence that I have, I turn this over. My Instagram likes keep coming up. Isn't that ridiculous? <laughs> I'm distracted by my likes. Matter. <laughs> let me count them for you. Oh, that's embarrassing. By the way, nobody's following my YouTube channel, so I'm <laughs> It's still just three, or have you gone down? <laughs> I had to quit looking because I kept crying. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay. So, my third biggest influence for uh, today is this book. It's called Daring Greatly. And I have never read a book so much that I wanted to buy copies of and give to people. It's not overtly, is that the right word, Christian? But everything about it speaks truth. And when someone studies humanity to such a degree that they uncover truth, they uncover God. And um, this book, I wouldn't have come across this book except that um, I was up in uh, the UP with the kids and Ben had gone home and we were... Um, we were playing at a playground, and a family came that had four kids, and since, you know, we had similar situations, we belonged to one another, so we spoke to each other, and she just wouldn't stop talking about this book. It was kind of random. They, a family from Alaska, and, uh, and I have never just met someone at a, at, a, at a playground and have them push a book on me so hard. <laughs> I thought she was a little weird. Um, but she, <laughs> Wait, what do you say? The drugs. <laughs> That's right. On the swing? Yes. <laughs> and so I, I had to read it. Um, I actually borrowed it from the library, and then it took me so long to read because it's got it's so chunky that I paid like enough in a in late fees that I could have purchased the book. Um, but I finally did purchase the book just yesterday from uh, Viewpoint. But. Um, when I was doing up these slides, I actually hadn't purchased the book yet, and I was thinking about what I remembered from the book, and there was this one part of the book that is actually her quoting somebody else um, that really struck me about our mentality of not enoughness. And we have that mentality of not enoughness because we are not enoughness without Christ. She said, um, one of my favorite writers on scarcity, and this is our not enoughness concept, is a global activist and fundraiser Lynn Twist. In her book, The Soul of Money, she refers to scarcity as the greatest lie. She writes, For me, and for many of us, our first waking thought of the day is, I didn't get enough sleep. The next one is, I don't have enough time. Whether true or not, that thought of not enough occurs to us automatically before we even think to question or examine it. We spend most of the hours and the days of our lives hearing, explaining, complaining, or worrying about what we don't have enough of. Before we even sit up in bed, before our feet touch the floor, we're already inadequate, already behind, already losing, already lacking something. And by the time we go to bed at night, our minds are racing with a litany of what we didn't get, we didn't get done that day. We go to sleep burdened by those thoughts and we wake up to that reverie of lack, 
This internal condition of scarcity, this mindset of scarcity lives at the very heart of our jealousies, our greed, our prejudice, and our arguments with life. So, she talks a lot in this book about um, shame, and um, she basically became a shame researcher. She started in research, uh, researching um, connection, because she saw that like connection was like where people, that's like the meaning of life, connection with people and with, with God. And, uh, but what she found was uh, when she was trying to research connection, all people wanted to talk about was their, uh, their unworthiness or their not-enoughness and their lack and their shame. And, um, and I connect this with what we're talking about today because of what is a real lack in our lives, this whole, and the things we chase after to fill that hole. And how that affects our lives and affects the lives of the people around us. This is a quote from uh, Greg Boyd. From this is uh, this is a, a sermon that actually was real recent uh, called "Move Over: The Root of Relationship Conflicts." He says, "An idol is anything in our life that plays a role only God is supposed to play." When she asks this question in her book and in her research, she she just like sets people up. She says, "Not blank enough. Fill it in for me. Take a second in your mind and think about what you'd fill in that for your own self. Not blank enough." I know what I'd put in there. put in not disciplined enough not organized enough not successful enough not kind enough not forgiving enough I think that's where my shame lies Does anybody else want to offer it up this is this is this is personal so if nobody wants to Because shame is powerful. In the beginning, I said, You are worthy, and you are valuable, and you are loved, and you matter because of Christ. And some of you might think, is it true? And honestly, I could have picked out a whole lot of scriptures, and I, I didn't spend that much time looking for a scripture that fit it perfectly because they're all true, and they all speak to God's love for us. But I did, I put this one up. It starts out, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever, ha whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not know God, what? Anyone who 
does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. We matter. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. I don't even know what that word is, but I'm not ashamed. <laughs> oh, so he loves us. He loves us with an unsurpassable love. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this way we know that we abide in him and he in us. If the Spirit of God abides in you, you are certainly worthy. Because he has given us of his Spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is so, as he is so also we are in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. In Christ, you are enough. When you can recognize where shame lies, and you can recognize you're not enough self-talk, I think you can call that lie out. And when you can call that lie out, you can replace it with the truth. That God loves you and when I think about this I think about it the same way as um, like forgiveness there are things that people have done in my life that I have had to forgive every time I think about it it's not like I, I perfected that forgiveness one day it's like yes I truly and completely and wholly forgive this person the next day the memory of it hurts again and I have to forgive all over again. And in the same way, until, until Jesus comes back and we are holy and fully redeemed, we are going to have to keep replanting that truth that we are valuable in Christ and we're worthy in Christ and we're loved by Christ. And it's something you've got to do daily, maybe moment to moment. So when you hear that lie about your unworthiness, you hear it in your self-talk, you see it in the faces of others, you got to replant that truth in your heart. you got to invoke the Spirit. You know, when I think about the Spirit, I, I feel like a pretty bad house guest. Not a house guest, a pretty bad hostess. And my house guest is like in the closet under the stairs. The Spirit abides in me, but I ignore him most of the time. Can you imagine living in someone's temple 
but they never speak to you and they never give you nourishment you might just kind of find a cozy chair in the corner and wait you know and so we can uh there's i can't think of what the scripture is but it talks about not uh oh what's the word not suppressing the spirit basically what grieving that's right not grieving the spirit when and when we, when we put him in the closet under the stairs it's hard to hear him and we only go looking for him when we're like in in a mess and you know you're really screwed up or you're really scared or something really awful's happening and you go running around trying to find the spirit where are you god where did i put you and you hear something knocking oh yeah there you are i need you now we need him all the time because that love that god talks about that we need to give for each other it's not a i like you kind of love oh the things you do make me have fuzzy thoughts it's unconditional love it's love because you see god in the other person and they are worthy not because of what they do or what they say or what they look like it's a agape love right jen i got that right okay so i'm not i'm not like a bible scholar on the spirit but i think that that spirit dwells in us and he's our comforter and he can help us replant this truth of worthiness in our hearts on a day-to-day -day basis and he can help us love people who we can't love on our own let's see what's next oh yeah Jesus talked a lot about being the vine and us being the branches and bearing fruit so long as we were attached to the vine and he abides in God and God abides in him he draws his life from God we draw our life from Jesus we draw our life from God let's read this scripture how am I doing on time her I am the true vine. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. I thought it was the gardener. <laughs> every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the world, word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you cannot, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full.
had some different thoughts here. <clears throat> I pictured that vine that comes off and withers and dies and is fruitless. And I thought about the times that I try through my own power to be fruitful for God rather than being fruitful in God, with God. It's his, you know, drawing, drawing life from him and producing fruit from him rather than trying to produce for, fruit for him. And that, I feel like, when you get burnt out, when you're just like, go, go, going for God, instead of go, go, going with God, you end up like a withered branch, fruitless, burn out, ready to be burnt up. And I don't mean that like in a turn or burn way, just like you're burnt out. <laughs> Uh, so, in, in, in all our false attempts to, to, to fill that value void and that worthiness void and that love void, and we go out with our own power, we may climb the ladder of success at work, and we may, I don't know, develop like the best selfie skills and have the most glamorous Instagrams, or we may... Uh, have the most uh, awards for our accomplishments in academia or the most recognition in what we do. But no matter what, if we are disconnected from the vine, if what we're doing and chasing after is, is try to prove our own worth and value and we're trying to do it of our own strength, it's fruitless no matter how good it looks to the world. And in the end, leaves you still having that gaping empty hole. Some of the wealthiest people in the world are the saddest. Their holes are huge. They just filled it up with all the things that don't matter and all the things that really are not secure. Let's see. Let me go on. I'm so, I can do it this way, can't I? Hmm. Are you this way? Mm -mm. I want to go back a little bit because I just remembered something that I didn't talk about, basically, and how all this stuff I'm talking about connects with the scripture that I was supposed to teach on. <laughs> <laughs> it, it does connect, I promise. You guys need a roadmap this morning. Um, where am I? All right. The disciples were arguing about who the greatest was, right? Because they needed to matter. They needed to feel like their position was secure. And that the people would love them for who they were, who they were aside from Christ. But Christ was all filled up. He's secure. And so he didn't need to defend his position. He didn't need to, sh he didn't need to rule. Everybody thought he was going to overthrow the Roman government. And he was going to take... He was going to take Israel back for God, right? He was going to rule like we think ruling looks like. But he didn't need to defend his position or his greatness, his worthiness. And so he was able to love the disciples unconditionally without anything that they could give him. And he was able to die and let mere men kill him because he didn't need to defend his greatness. And he had so much love for us because he was whole. And he wanted us to be whole too. Now, when we plant that truth in our heart and we feel that fullness of God's love in our heart, it doesn't mean our heart won't hurt. Jesus hurt. Jesus cried. Jesus was angry sometimes. 
but it won't take away a worthiness. A worthy heart can hurt. A worthy heart will hurt. A full heart will hurt. But when it's full, it can love, and love can heal. Sometimes my kids talk about what their superpower would be. It's like, if you could choose one superpower, what would it be? What would it be? Gwen? You have no idea? You never thought about this? Flying. That's a popular one. Luke? Anybody else besides flying? We'd just all be flying. <laughs> like reading people's minds. Reading people's like, minds. Ooh, oh, the power to know. Yeah, I don't know. I know. That, that, that would be probably pretty <laughs> ugly. <laughs> controlling time. Telling what? Controlling time. Controlling time. I thought you said telling time. I was like, oh, Shirley. <laughs> <laughs> that too. <laughs> 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 I want to stop it so I can get things done. I started again. Yeah. I used to think, oh, well, the kids talk about it all the time, and so I was like, you know what, the power to heal. Power to heal. That would be incredible, to have the power to heal. Recently, um, a good friend of Ben's from college's wife um, was diagnosed with stage 4 cancer. She has four kids, just like us, except her kids are actually younger. And we've stayed connected in social media, even though they live in South Dakota. And I was just so broken by this like I could just put my I could put myself in her place how hard this is she is fighting for her life so that she can raise her four young babies and I was crying out to God I was just like why are you letting us hurt so much why don't you heal us and Honestly, I don't often feel a word from God, but I, I felt like he said, I've given the power to heal over to you guys. You have the power to heal with your love. You have the power to heal. It comes from me, and it goes out through you, right? And um, actually watching her on social media has been amazing because people have really outpoured. She's, she's a great community. She's just really fortunate she's surrounded by people who are pouring out love on her and I think she's never felt so loved in her life and probably although she's dying has never felt so whole in her life because God's love is being poured into her so intensely we do have the power to heal it comes from God and it comes from comes from understanding accepting and trusting our own love God's God's love for us Every time I go down and the little thing comes up, I just want to slide. Sorry. I was looking for images of freedom because I think about what it would be like to not care what people think about me and not care what I look like and not care whether I am successful and just understand that I'm valuable and I was like, that's freedom. And when you've got freedom in that, then you've got freedom, freedom fruits come out of you. Freedom fruits, not freedom fries. These are different things. Freedom fruits, and I was looking for images. Takes quite a minute. Oh no, I've got too much stuff. It's not. There you go. There we go. 
had to say something, but otherwise I would have, I would have failed. All right, so I was looking for images of freedom, and um, you get like uh, lots of different images, but this one, uh, something similar to this came up, which is like chains are broken. And it made me think of that. Chains are broken and you've been set free. And you have been in, in its Christ's love. It sets you free. He says, Paul says in Galatians, For you are called to freedom, brothers, only you do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love you serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. That just feels like the world today. If you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. How am I doing? Can you quit? Huh? Ooh. All right. probably could you could shame me out of here this is the third time Jess <laughs> so I guess I'm just gonna leave you with this in Christ you are enough and you're gonna have to tell yourself every morning that instead of waking up who can relate to that the waking up and the I didn't get enough sleep and I don't have enough time right I just even though it's a half times not true, Ben knows I sleep a lot. <laughs> Usually it's somebody woke me up before I wanted to get up and the kids are all awake and I didn't get enough long time. Something of that sort. Um, I, put the, uh, I put the little clock hands at, uh, at 5 a.m. And that was just because I didn't want to put it at 7, which would be more accurate. <laughs> But I couldn't put it right, you know, at six because that was going to get in the way of the mouth. I'm surprised Ben didn't call me out on that. Like, mm, when have you seen 5 a.m., Jess? <laughs> so, this is my word for you. You are loved, and you are worthy, and you are enough in Christ. Amen. Can someone else handle? Do I need to? Okay. Because you are enough. That's right. And that's not a joke. This, um, this is perfect for today because Jesus, this is the Lord's Supper. When he was talking about this stuff, when he was washing the disciples' feet, when he was showing them that they didn't have to peck at each other and try to step on each other to be great, they were, they were enjoying the Lord's Supper together. And he told us to do this in remembrance of him. Remember his incredible, unimaginable, unsurpassable love for us, that he died for us so that we could abide in him and he in us and us in God, and we could be whole because of that, that gaping hole that was put in our hearts when, when we fell, when we chose life, and when we chose death instead of life. He, he can fill that. If only we open our hearts to it. So, come and eat and drink and abide in Christ. Amen.